Good morning, how are you? Good morning. Um, do you know what this is? Yes? Yes. Oh, you're an A1. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, everybody in the group was numbered uh, on the bus, like, you know, Baker Company, Charlie Company, because we had so many people. So they're calling out their number on the bus. That's super funny. Yeah. Because we didn't want to lose anybody in Israel while we were there. So when we got, you know, to wherever we were going, they all had to say their numbers. A1, A2, A3. It took about a week before they got the picture of numerical sequence, but they, they did it. So almost needed this shofar uh, to call their attention. Now, the group gave this to me as a, as a present for leading the group, which is really nice of them to do that. I don't have a shofar horn, which is what the Jews would use to call their troops to battle. Um, and we had people over for dinner last night, so I showed them my horn, and they wanted me to play it. So I'm like, ah, yeah, right. So I tried it. No troops would go to battle with me. <laughs> it sounded really puny. Uh, so I just show it to you uh, to say, uh, this is what a shofar horn looks like. So we had a good time in Israel. Uh, this time last week, we had spent uh, part of our day in the garden tomb uh, area. So there's uh, Golgotha the hill of the crucifixion, and then maybe, I don't know, 80 to 100 yards down the hill uh, is the cave of Christ where they would have buried him. Um, that's a very solemn place to be, a very exciting place to be too. And uh, in between uh, Golgotha and the cave, uh, there's many venues by which to have communion, and we had our venue uh, at, right next to the cave of the tomb of Christ. How do you even explain that to somebody? I mean, it's just overpowering. It's emotional. A lot of us couldn't even talk there. I mean, it's just... You can feel the presence of Christ there in a profound way. And so um, uh, we, had, we had a great time. I'm still jet lagged. I've been up every day this week at 3 a.m. with Liz. You know, you're laying in bed. You're like, are you up? Yeah, I'm up. You want to get up? Not really. Uh, and so we've been up. Uh, it's amazing what you can do between 3 and 7. But you're military. You, you know this. But uh, so I've, I've got a lot accomplished this week. Um, so somebody told me this better be a really good sermon got to love this church. It's like unbelievable. Uh, so if I don't look like I'm all here, you know, I, I think I, my wife's like, can you do three in a row today? I'm like, I hope so. Uh, so it's good to have you. We had a great time in Israel. Um, okay, there, so when I left, there was 30 people on the waiting list for, for next year. That was Sunday. And I said, you know, if you want to go next year, uh, you know, sign up. So then I left for Israel. So Monday, Monday morning, there were 87 people. So a lot of you were emailing saying, how could I be on a waiting list? Well, there's just that many people that signed up. And then by Thursday, there was 107. Wow. I'm only taking 54. You do the math. And, and so I think, I haven't talked to the elders about it. So if you're an elder, hey, welcome to the meeting before the meeting. Uh, I was thinking, I mean, how to do this? Because uh, I, I don't want people to wait too long to go because it's a life-changing thing. So um, so I think we're going to do like two, like one in March uh, and then perhaps one in April. Uh, and I've got a guy, my other guide, Asher Ashkenazi, will, will do the April one. And then my other guide, Yaniv, uh, Navy SEAL, that's what he was, a uh, young man, uh, he, he will do the, the March tour. So that way I could take the 107 people that are signed up. Uh, and, uh, and then after that, one of the elders told me, this could become a part-time job for you. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we had a lot of fun with that. So uh, anyway, if you'd like to go, uh, there's one more slot open. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, anyway, it's a, it is an awesome thing. How many are here that went with us? I see doctor and his wife. Yes. Yeah. Life transforming, is it not? Yeah. I mean, how do you even explain it? So uh, good to have you in God's house. Uh, we are in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 15. 
Uh, and somebody asked me last night, are you actually going to finish the book of Romans uh, in March, as you said you would? No. Yes, I, I am. Yeah, March of 2035. So <laughs> uh, we're in Romans uh, 15. Uh, Paul's wrap-up counsel to the Romans. And uh, thankful for Pastor Michael and his leadership. He's actually hiking Mount Kilimanjaro this week. It's just what pastors do. Uh, so he's on his bucket list with his son, so they're going to go do that. So it's supposed to rain and snow the entire time. But he's U.S. Army. He's trained for this stuff. Is he not? So he can, he can do it. There's no army here? Okay, that sounded really passionate. Harry, you're Navy. I mean, you guys would just fly to the top, right, and drop guys off? Awesome, awesome. Uh, anyway, Romans 15, let's pray. Uh, God, thank you just for uh, the opportunity to know you, to walk with you, uh, and to hear from you. And you speak most profoundly through the scriptures that are inspired. And uh, so we know that you'll speak today. Uh, Paul had much to say to the Romans, uh, but really 2,000 years later, he's still speaking. And may we learn today in Christ's name from him. Amen. Uh, what is uh, the picture of a, of a growing Christian? Well, um, Maturity is what Christ wants from his people. So if you go back to the very first of Romans, and we started Romans probably two years ago, um, right, about, about then? So if you go back to when we started the book of Romans uh, and you move from chapter to chapter, you can pull out the, the concepts of what does a maturing Christian look like. So I'll just uh, remind you, because we're winding the book down as we study it, only a couple more sermons, and I don't yet know where we're going so prepare yourself, uh, whichever way God's leading. I'm so praying about what God wants me to do. I think I know what I'm going to do, but uh, we'll eventually get there. Uh, but as we wind Romans down, uh, if you go back to chapter 1, you can draw these things out of what does a maturing Christian look like. So chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation to the, you know, to the Jew first then to the Greek. Um, this tells you that uh, if you're a mature saint, you're not ashamed of the gospel. You're not afraid. I mean, you will share that gospel when given the opportunity, correct? And so that, that's, that's the first sign, I think, of a, of a great Christian who's growing up. Uh, chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, where Paul talks about the spiraling nature of sin. Um, he says uh, in that, he's telling you, if you know Christ well, you're going to be serious when it comes to sin. You're going to know what it does. You're going to know that one sin leads to another sin, to deeper sin. And so you'll still still clear of sin. That's chapter 1. Chapter uh, Five, he talks about if you know Christ as Savior, you have peace with God. Uh, and I think as you grow up in Christ, um, no matter what happens in your life, that abiding peace that you have between you and your Creator, you just know it. That if, if it's a great time in your life, you just know you have that peace uh, when you have those exhilarating mystical moments with God. And then there's that time in, in deep sadness when things happen to you, but you know there's a peace with you that you know it's going to be okay. That, that maturing Christian has that. Uh, chapter 6, verse 19 and following, where Paul talks about how when you're a Christian, you're not bound to sin anymore. You're not a slave to sin anymore because he frees you. Then you, you learn how to lead in a life that's free from sin. You can move away from the old you and be, become the new you. In fact, you should say after being in Romans after two years, you are not the same person that you were when you started this book. If you are that same person, we're starting over. <laughs> Immediate change, right? Yeah. Uh, in chapter 8, Paul talks about uh, if you are a Christian, uh, you have the Spirit of God resident in you, uh, but then you live a life dependent upon the Spirit. You seek His power, His strength for daily living. He gives you victory because you're talking with Him, seeking Him to empower you. Uh, in chapter 12, when we got there about uh, the command to not be conformed to the world, to be transformed in your mind, it, it, it is true. We are not to be like the world. We are supposed to be transformed in our thinking. Uh, and then he spent uh, chapter 12, 13, 14, and part of chapter 15 telling you what does a non-conformed, transformed life look like? That's maturity. 
And I won't go into all the details. But the point being, if you're a Christian, you're growing up in the faith, which is the question you have to ask yourself constantly. Am I growing up in the faith? That is what those points talk about. Is that me? Um, Paul is um, wrapping up his counsel to the Romans. And as he's wrapped up his counsel, uh, he's telling them uh, his final things that are on his mind. So he's, he's telling them, you know, things you would say at the end of a letter to somebody. Goodbye to this person. Say hi to that person. When you're trying to preach this, that's a whole other thing. How do you preach that? So what I have done, I'll remind you, because it's been three weeks. Remember, I was here three weeks ago talking about Paul's wrap-up counsel. I'm looking at it from the perspective of how does a godly, how does a godly Christian operate? I mean, Pay attention to what Paul's saying here. Because I think in analyzing his closing words to the Romans, you're seeing a growing Christian in action. I mean, you can principalize what he's saying, which is what we're doing, which leads to what we want to talk about again today, the earmarks of a godly growing Christian. He see, you can see this in his life in chapter 15, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. So we want to review because it's been three weeks. Um, I'm Marty, <laughs> by the way. Uh, and uh, and uh, in case you don't know, I'm the pastor. Uh, what did we talk about last time? Well, two earmarks of a growing Christian. Number one, by way of review, chapter 15, verse 14, uh, he has a positive attitude. That was Paul. You got around Paul, you got built up because this is such a positive guy. If you're around someone who's negative, you're not feeling too great about yourself. When you're around Paul, you walked away just like, I could take on the world. This guy's just like the ultimate, as we said then, coach. Uh, so positive. Um, if you are negative, I'm praying for you. It's not a spiritual gift, uh, Okay. Yeah, right? So Paul says, grow up in the faith, get positive. So that was Paul. It doesn't mean that he wasn't negative when it came to dealing with sin and things. He did. But first and foremost, he, he led with that positive view of his faith. Number two, verses 15 to 16, uh, he said uh, in his own life, he had, a, he had a powerful calling from God. He knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He sensed that powerful call. He went out and he did it. And I can totally relate. When you get saved and God calls you to what he wants you to do, you know that. I, I knew it from when I was a kid that, that God was calling me to do something. Uh, more about that in just a minute. Earmark number three. Uh, if you are a growing Christian, according to verses 17 to 19, I would say that uh, you glory in how God uses you with the gospel. You glory in that. Notice what Paul says. Therefore, let me summarize my argument thus far in my goodbye letter. In Christ Jesus, I, says, Paul says, I have found reason for doing what? Boasting. Ooh, huh? Well, let me ask you a hermeneutical question. Is it okay for a Christian to boast? See, you're all so humble and meek. Is it okay for a Christian to boast? I don't know. I've, I've been thinking about this all week. Because remember, remember, remember Jesus, what he said when it came to talking about stuff? Don't let your right hand know what your... You know what I'm talking about? Don't let your right hand know from your, what, what your left hand's doing or don't brag, Right? Don't trumpet what you're doing. Because, you know, the Pharisees, when they would go to the temple and they would tithe, the, the tithe box was a giant box. And they had a ram's horn that was hollowed out that fed down into it. And the Pharisees would come there with a whole bunch of shekels and stand there forever dropping it in. And I'm sure worshipers were standing there going, hey, Rabbi Akaba, he's been there for 15 minutes dropping in shekels. He's holy. Mm -hmm. Sure, he's just showing off, right? That's why Jesus said, don't do that. Don't be like them. But then Paul comes along and says, I have found reasons for boasting. Boasting in what, Paul? What does he say? In things pertaining to God. Oh, that's totally different. Um, 
therefore, let's start there, therefore. It's a logical connective, which tells you it's like a hinge on a door. He's moving from what he just said uh, uh, in those last two points to he's going to add a third thing. Uh, and here he says, when I think about my life and my walk with God, uh, in Christ I found reason for boasting in things that pertain to God. So, uh, in Christ Jesus, it's a prepositional phrase, correct? Yes. Don't you love grammar? I do. Why is grammar important? I'll tell you again, it's inspired of God. There's a reason why God put that prepositional phrase in there. Prepositional phrase starts with the word in, correct? So, correct? Yeah, so when you think about in, in Christ Jesus means, in the Greek, if you giant, draw a giant circle and put Christ Jesus in the middle of the circle, in means you're in him. How do you get in Jesus? Well, theologically, you are ek, or out of Christ. You're born that way, Romans 5, 12 to 21 which we talked about many months ago. You're born apart from God, out of God. But once you get justified by faith, you're in Jesus. So Paul says, when I think about my walk in Jesus, uh, I've got reason that I can boast in things that have happened in my life as a Christian. This is very interesting. Boasting about things that pertain to God, not that things that pertain to Paul. See, bad boasting is I focus on myself. Good boasting is, no, I focus on God and what God has done in and through me. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. What does Paul say? For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience as leaders, he says, is that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and with godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely we've done this toward you. He said, as we've come to you, it's not been about money, it's not been about ourselves, it's been about Jesus, and we boast in what God has done in and through our abilities to, to shepherd you. He says, I boast in that. I relish in that. Uh, boasting then uh, it is inherently wrong if the object is wrong, right? If the object is you, it's sinful. If the object is I'm giving God the glory, Paul says that's the way I roll. Uh, think about people who've done uh, boasting in the wrong way, right? Not that DC would know anything about this. <laughs> Let's pick on a, a biblical New Testament politician, Herod Agrippa, okay? Um, Acts chapter 12, it acquaints us with a boasting session in his life about well, how well he did politics. Notice what it says. Now, he was, Herod, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having one over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, uh, they were asking for shalom, and we need some shalom, okay? Uh, peace. Uh, be because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, you know, all the regalia, you know, the beautiful clothing, the heavy, you know, the long robe. And the longer the robe, the more power you had and the crown and everything. He puts on the royal apparel. He took a seat on the rostrum in his beautiful throne. He began delivering a political address to them. And as he's delivering this address, the people who want to get on his good side, well, what do they say? As he's talking, it's the voice of a God. It's not a man. That's fake news. <laughs> Isn't it? Was he a god? No. He's of the lineage of Herod. No, he's not a god. But they're telling him he's a god. He's not a man. This is amazing. What a politician. Um, the thing is, God was listening to that boasting. You know, that the king was going, I guess I am a god. Uh, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. See? He got the glory. And he was eaten by worms and he died. Whoa. Don't tell me the Bible's not interesting. So boring. Have you read it? This is like, whoa. Okay, this leads to some hermeneutical questions. You know, Bible study questions? Like, 
Do you have some? I do. Like, if you could pick a way to die, would this be it? <laughs> no, no. I don't know what that looked like, but whoa! He was standing there, and all of a sudden, he just began to disintegrate with worms. I mean, do you like worms? <laughs> like lots of worms? I mean, no way. I don't even like fishing with them. I mean, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Uh, so he, he, divine judgment. God says, too prideful, too boastful. I'm taking you out. I did, at least another question. If God were to do this today to politicians, <laughs> I'm just saying, how many would be on the planet? <laughs> they were having a huge debate and eight of them just disappeared right there. I mean, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I mean, I mean, thank God he's merciful today, isn't he? But he's showing you, I don't like pride. I don't like boasting. And Herod believed the fake news. Well, I must be the uber politician. Uh, God's like, no, I'm taking you out. Now, if God were to do this today, this angel would be busy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The worm angel. Hey, come here. <laughs> Are you serious? No, moving on. So what was wrong with Herod's uh, situation? Well, he was boasting in, in what? Himself. He's boasting in himself. Now, anybody here from Texas by chance? Before I insult you? Well, I know you are. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, you're from Texas? Okay, I'm gonna, don't take this wrong. I'm not gonna pick on you, yeah. But I live there, I, went, I got my degree from Texas. You know. My parents are like, what do you wanna go to Dallas Seminary for? I go, well, I can't preach if I can't talk like them. <laughs> but anyway, so sometimes when people are bragging, you just know they're bragging, right? Don't you? You're like, there's no way that's true. You know, you just know, they just don't know it. The prideful person doesn't know it. So uh, in Texas, uh, they have a, well, let me introduce you to a hat. Okay, you know, and I lived there for four years. So I'm a California, San Diego guy analyzing people from Texas. And I'm thinking to myself, seems to me like the bigger the hat, the more powerful that person is. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is a huge hat. So they have a saying in Texas, it goes like this. He's all hat, no cattle. <laughs> Did you hear me? I thought it was good. That should be in the Bible. He's all hat, he's no cattle. I mean, like he doesn't even have a cow. Anyway, so a lot of people are just blowing smoke, are they not? And, and, and Paul says, I'm not talking about that kind of pride. It's not about you. It's about you giving glory to God. Because notice what Paul says, verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what? What Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in what? Well, the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Obedience to who? To Jesus. Uh, in the power, how did this happen? Gentiles came to Christ? Well, it came about in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. And he says, uh, as I think back, so that from Jerusalem to, uh, round about as far as Illyricum, uh, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. I started in Jerusalem where I got saved. I took the gospel wherever I went. And as I went all the way over to Illyricum, uh, Gentiles were getting saved by the power of God. Where's the lyricum? I know you're stuck on that. Uh, well, that's where it is. Can you see it? See the purple area? area? In Macedonia, etc. So that's modern day Bosnia, Albania, Herzegovina, Croatia, etc. He said, I took the, go the gospel up to that area uh, and uh, it, it began to permeate that area, but, but it did it not by my power, by the power of God. So let's think about this. Uh, Paul says, I glory in what God did in and through me as I as I shared the gospel. Go back to the missionary journeys. Paul had three of them. First missionary journey. He's on the Isle of Paphos. He's preaching. He's speaking to a politician who's not saved. He's trying to lead the politician to Christ. The devil sends a sorcerer to Paul to interrupt the evangelistic opportunity. His name is Bar-Jesus. 
or bar Jesus, depending on where you're from. I'm just saying, I grew up on the border. This is how you read it. So uh, Bar Jesus comes, uh, and he's interrupting Paul, and Paul's like trying to present the gospel to this guy. Remember, Paul said, I don't boast anything but the power of God to advance the gospel. He's preaching, the, the Satanist comes, and if Paul's eventually he's had enough of him, so he just looks at the guy and says, God's gonna strike you with temporary blindness. Boom. The guy can't see. How'd that happen? Well, the politician then turned immediately to Jesus. Wouldn't you if you were a politician? Paul said, I've seen the signs and wonders of God and the power of the Spirit. And uh, it happened on Paphos, a second missionary journey. Paul and Silas are arrested on trumped-up charges, uh, thrown into a prison, uh, and they're, they're in shackles, etc. And God sends another angel to the prison. Uh, there's a localized earthquake. All the cell doors pop open. All the chains fall off. And you're the head of the prison. In Roman times, if you lose a prisoner, you're executed. You just had a huge earthquake. All the cell doors opened. <laughs> Chains fell off. And you're thinking, uh, it's over. I might as well fall on my sword. Uh, Paul and Silas, who had been singing hymns all night, uh, witnessed to the, the guard, lead him to Christ, and lead his whole family to Christ. See, Paul said, I've seen God do some amazing things. He opened cell doors to advance the gospel. Third missionary journey. It tells us in Acts 19.11 that people were bringing handkerchiefs and aprons to Paul, touching them on his uh, tunic, and then taking them over to sick people and laying the handkerchief on the sick people, and they got healed immediately. Paul said, go explain that. I don't know how that happened. What was that? Power of God. Paul says, when I look at my life, I, I relish and am excited about talking about the things that God has done in and through me as I'm faithful to preach the gospel. That's what he boasts in. So you've got to stop and ask yourself, what do I boast in? Because a lot of people boast in themselves. Look at what I've done. They'll be glad to tell you, here's the long list of all the great things I've done. They're not giving God the glory. Who should get the glory? God. God should get the glory. See, a mature Christian gives God the glory of what God's doing through their ministry as they're obedient. So it's not wrong in and of itself to talk about what God has done in and through you as you've been obedient to him, but you give him the glory for what he's doing. Uh, years ago, I never even mentioned it to you, I don't believe, um, Remember Darren? Yeah, Darren. Yeah, Darren and I talk about every week, every week and a half or so, we call each other and talk. He's doing great, by the way. Um, so uh, Darren came to me one time and he said, man, uh, I don't know if you know this, but he said, we just made uh, Outreach Magazine's national fastest growing, one of the 100 fastest growing churches in the United States. We made that magazine. It's a huge thing. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. And uh, they sent us a plaque and all this stuff. And Rick Warren, you know Rick Warren? wrote me a letter saying, this, your church must be amazing in D.C., cut, cutting edge, taking on the devil and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I don't even have the letter anymore. Remember decoupage? <laughs> yeah, if you were really prideful, what would you do with that letter? It's Rick Warren. I'm getting a piece of wood. I'm putting that letter on there. I'm going to decoupage it on there. I'm going to hang it on the wall. Does it really matter? No. no. I threw the letter away. I don't, I don't need a letter. Because who grew this church? God. See, I've pastored long enough to know I've had lean times as a pastor, as a church planner, hard, hard times. I've seen God bless tremendously, but either way, he gets the glory. See, he gets the glory. See, it's like I saved one of those magazines. It's in my office. I can show it to you for $39.95. And, uh, no, I was in Israel all week. Everything had a price. No, uh, I, kept a, I kept the magazine to remember it, but it's not like I'm not all about that. Because it's like, it's like, you know, I don't, I don't want to boast in those things. 
You know, I don't even really, big deal. So it's what God did. It's what God has done. Paul says, make sure that you pause and give God the glory. Don't take it for yourself. So if you work in our children's department and God is doing great things in and through your children's work, you as a teacher, as a guide, who should you give the glory to? God. If you serve in our children, we're in our youth department, impacting lives for eternity, young people, and God's doing great things as you watch them grow up in the faith, what should you be doing? Give God the glory, not you. You know, if you, I had a general one time take me out to dinner at the Pentagon, went to the general's dining room. That was a very interesting place to go. Uh, very nice, very pewter plates, army plates, very, very nice. And this is what the general told me. He, he said, I just want to let you know before we eat that what I hear on Sunday through my church, I bring back to the Pentagon on Monday and I use it to impact my troops for Christ. Yay. I'm done. That's awesome. That's what I live for. If this church can disciple you, help you grow up in the faith, so you can go back wherever God took you uh, and has placed you to make an impact, give God the glory for that man. The army moved him on. And now we're, you know, we're looking for the next person that God's using to give God glory through. So the point being, uh, as you mature in the faith, you should be giving God the glory, not getting it for yourself. So you have to ask yourself, am I getting too much of the glory in my life? Too prideful, too arrogant, too self-centered? Well, then don't do that anymore and move in the direction to give God the glory. Point number two, earmark number four, a uh, growing Christian is consumed with a particular gospel vision. Particular, heavy on the word particular. Notice what Paul says. Thus I was asp uh, aspired to preach the gospel, uh, not where Christ had already been named, so that I would not be uh, building on another man's foundation, but as it is written, he's gonna quote from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 15 here. Uh, Isaiah said, they who had no news of him, the Messiah, shall see, uh, and they who have not heard shall understand. Uh, he said, I'm going to take that great prophecy of the Messiah, that he will take his gospel and, and let the world know about who he is. I'm going to take that, I'm going to apply it to myself. So Paul says, my vision as a saint, my purpose, my strategy, is to take the gospel where no man has gone before. I know it's Trekkian. You've heard this before? Paul had this down thousands of years before Leonard Nimoy and the, and the crew. Correct? What's he saying? It's just what he's saying. I'm going to take the gospel where nobody's been before. Now, does this mean that the Apostle Paul never built on someone else's work? No. No, because the Romans is a, is a case in fact that he's trying to build on another person's work because he didn't found that church in Rome, right? You've been in this book. You know this book implicitly. Had he ever seen them? It's not yes. It's no. Thank you. Yeah, he'd never seen him. He wants to go there and build on another person's work, but he wants to use him as a springboard, as we're going to see, to go to Spain to preach the gospel to people who had never heard about Jesus before. This is what he lived for, which you have to stop and ask yourself, as I look at my life, as I'm called of God, who specifically am I going after with the gospel of Christ? Specifically, leads to another question. Have you ever led anyone to Christ? Ever? See, because I think if you're a Christian, you're not just a seed thrower. Sometimes you harvest. See, Paul says, no, specific, specificity. I, my calling is to go where no one's gone before. That's what he did. Um, when you are not a Christian, you're a beggar. And you're basically looking for bread. And when you find the bread, Jesus, it satisfies the soul. And when it satisfies the soul, you just can't wait to tell another beggar where the bread is, correct? And then someone's gonna take a bite of Jesus by faith and go, wow, this is most satisfying. When I was a young uh, pastor, young Christian pastor in the, when I was 20, in my 20s, 
I read two books that changed my, my life when it came to evangelism. I'll share them with you. Um, one I already did last, last time. I'll share it again because there's more to talk about. Uh, but the first book was a book by a guy named Oscar Thompson who died in the 70s from cancer. Great man of God. Uh, he wrote a book called Concentric Circles of Concern. Concentric Circles of Concern. Uh, in that, he came up with a, like a matrix that every DC person will love. Here's the matrix of sorts. Don't you love this? See, the DC types are going, oh, I can finally totally tune into this message. There's a chart, okay? So what does the chart say? Well, he says, focus on your life when it comes to the gospel. You must, uh, you, your life has seven zones. So just, and I know this is a place of strategy. What is my strategy to reach my world for Christ? He says, first of all, start with who? You. What's the question? Am I saved? Am I a believer? If the answer is yes, then the next question is, well, who in my immediate family is saved? Is my son? Is my daughter? Is my wife? And then, then he says, set a strategy then to reach your immediate family. So I would say if you set a strategy to reach your wife for Christ, it probably starts as a man with godly behavior toward her, that you, you exhibit Christ to her. You're not going to win her through argumentation. You won't win the argument anyway. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're going to win her by showing Christ to her and how you live. You're a changed man. She's going to, well, you're, you're a different man since you became a Christian. But anyway, it's strategy. So he says you should strategize in all these areas. He says, don't, don't be like some Christians. And like my ministry is just, I just go to person X out there. That's easier, right? Because the other night I'm flying back, Monday I'm flying back from Istanbul. And I'm two, two and a half hours from Tel Aviv to Istanbul, got off the plane, just went through Israeli security, tightest in the world, went through security at Istanbul, five levels of security check. How many times do I take my shoes off? How many times do you need to look at my phone? How many times do I need to go through a, a screening machine? Five times. Somebody leaned over and told me, no one's hijacking this plane. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. Uh, so this is Istanbul. I was like, the eh, security threat level here must be off the grid. But um, so I get on the plane and sitting next to me, I got Liz here and a young man sitting next to me, uh, is, any, is, is a young Indian man, a Hindu young man sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> he's there for 11 and a half hours. <laughs> he's person X. See, I could be saying to myself, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to tell him everything I know about theology in the next 11 and a half hours, right? <laughs> hey, you want to see all my pictures to Israel? I took 1,100 of them. You know, like, whoa, you know? And, and I've witnessed to lots of people on airplanes before. Um, a couple of months ago, I was flying, uh, and I, was, I had my iPad open. I was reading my Hebrew Bible, and some lady, a couple rows behind me, could see my, my iPad and saw what I was reading, didn't know what it was. And she re comes over and taps me on the shoulder down the aisle. Hey, could I ask you a question? I'm like, what? She goes, what are you reading? I'm, well, I'm reading the Torah. You do it, huh? And that led to a discussion with her in the aisle. Cool, huh? I mean, you never know. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not averse to reaching person X with the gospel of Christ. Um, but um, that's not the most premier way to do it. So Oscar Thompson says, develop a strategy to reach those closest to you first, build a relationship with them, strategize to, to reach them. So if you get to the end of his book, he has like three pages of strategy of fill in their name. Go get a prayer partner to pray for that person until they're saved. Uh, strategize for exactly what you're going to do. I mean, he says fill in all the boxes of what exactly are you going to do to win them to Christ. I mean, it's total strategy. You got to ask yourself, do I have a strategy that's particular? Paul says, if you're growing up in the faith, follow my example. I have a strategy. What's your strategy? 
Uh, Thompson uh, was eventually followed by a man named Joe Aldrich who wrote a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. Uh, another great book. In that book, he says there's three things you have to think about when it comes to evangelism. Three proper methods. Number one, presence. Number two, he calls it proclamation of the gospel. Number three, persuasion. Most Christians go from, well, presence immediately to persuasion. And then no one really listens. He, he says in this book, you've got to build a relationship. Know them, love them, be, be there with them for birthdays, death days. They lost their job. You love them. You have them over for dinner. You go to, a nat, you go to games with them, practice this, that. I mean, you know them, you love them. It could take years before you ever get to the point of proclamation of the gospel. I've been there. When the family member looks at you in the car and says to you, as Liz's twin sister did, what's different about your marriage than my marriage? And we have a ton of money and we know you don't. Uh, what's different? That's uh, Jesus. I led, I led her, her twin sister to Christ in my driveway. But I'd known her for years. See, it's presence. Presence leads to proclamation. Well, it's the gospel. Then it's persuasion. What are you going to do with what I just told you? See, so what is your goal? Paul says, I have a goal to be present with non-Christians, to proclaim the message of the gospel with them, and to lovingly persuade them, and it takes time. So I would say, as you leave this place of worship, you should be asking yourself, God, help me to give you the glory for what you're doing in, in and through my life. Forgive me for getting it. Glory, I'm gonna give it to you. Uh, and then help me to find exactly who you want me to present the gospel to, specifically. Years ago, there was a man named Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson. He became the pioneer of American missions. Most people don't even know who he is. You should. Because when he, went his, he was raised in Plymouth, Massachusetts by a godly family who prayed for him and, and raised him to, to know the gospel, but he rejected the gospel. Uh, he went to New York City uh, when he was 20 years old to take his, uh, his brain and his talents to become uh, a famous uh, actor and or writer. But after a while, he became disillusioned. And he traveled back home to see mom and dad. Uh, he had thrown his faith away, remember? And he came back to go see his mom and dad. And on his way there, he stopped uh, at a, a little inn uh, to sleep on his journey. Back then, the hotels were not uh, soundproofed very well. And all night long, he was kept up by another young man in the room next to him who cried and moaned and groaned the entire night. And then early, early in the morning, he didn't hear that young man making any noise anymore. And so he uh, checked out of that hotel, as it were, went to the front desk, and uh, he said, I was, uh, they said, how was your stay? He said, it was terrible. And they said, well, why? He said, uh, <laughs> that guy in the room next to me kept me up all night long, moaning and screaming. And yeah, what happened to that guy? They said, he, he died in the night. He died. Now, this was long before HIPAA laws. So he said, what was his name? He said, uh, well, his name was uh, Jacob Jacob." Eames. He said, excuse me, who? Jacob Eames. Jacob Eames was the young college student who had led uh, Adoniram away from his faith at college. See? He's the guy that told him, you don't need Jesus in this gospel. He then began to think about the fact that that guy who had done that, God had taken him and he wasn't ready to meet God. And so he thought to himself, I know Jacob didn't know God, neither do I, I'm lost. Well, he got saved, he got saved. 
Uh, at 21 years old, he got saved, and somebody gave him a copy of the book, The Star of the East. It recounted uh, the gospel's transformative power uh, in East India. He read that little book from cover to cover, and he got called by God uh, to give his life at 21 years old to the Burmese people. So he went at 21, and he labored among the people of Burma for six years with the gospel. After six years, he finally got one convert. I submit to you, if you're Generation Z, would you go do that? Uh, he got one convert. 20 years later, he had his hundredth convert. He had translated the Bible into their language. He had translated Bible pamphlets with the gospel into their language and led many to Christ, planted churches. After 40 years of being there, he had lost uh, his children there, died there. Still, he continued to preach the gospel. Uh, 40 years later, he had led hundreds and hundreds of Burmese people to Christ. Where'd he get the call? Went a, in a hotel one night when God got his attention. And then God said, I want you to grow up in the faith. I'm going to, I'm going to focus you specifically on one people group, people in Burma. So I have to ask you, if you're growing up in the faith, who's your Burma? Who's your Burma? It could be the Pentagon, could be the CIA, could be the White House, wherever you work. God's telling you, you need to strategize for how you're going to win them to Christ because that's what a growing Christian does. Good to be in God's house today. Give him glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Uh, we, for, we just ask for forgiveness for how prideful and self-centered we can be. It just comes with the sinful equipment. Help us to be humble and meek uh, and to give you praise for the things you do in and through us to advance your gospel in lives. And may you take each person here and set them on a course of action like you did Adoniram years ago uh, to, to actually lead people into the kingdom of Christ by their influence and their word. In Christ's name, amen.